thank you for being here. Amen. God is so good. And uh, we are getting to the end. We are wrapping up our uh, teaching series, our June teaching series. And um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what God's been doing during this teaching series and how everything has been uh, been operating. I want to say it's good to have Danny. There he goes. Danny Duvall, first time in church, and so we are glad to have him. Amen. Go ahead. I, yeah, I just called you out as you got up to take Danny out. Amen. The wonderful timing of a pastor. Um, but... Uh, so uh, it's good to have them and all of you. I want to say it's good to have some friends of ours, uh, Doug and Shelly and Paxton Bates. Uh, they just moved to the area, and uh, actually they called me, and I did a home inspection on their house, and she was like, oh, by the way, we know you. I was like, uh-oh, like, my name's John. <laughs> no, she, but, uh, we used to work some youth camps together, and so... Uh, it was uh, good to have them here this morning, and all of you. Um, I'm excited about what God's going to do. So here's a question I, I have to ask you. How many of you this morning met somebody new? Raise your hand. If you met somebody new this morning, um, I did. Um, I met a lady at the uh, coffee place where I get coffee. Uh, she's not the normal uh, lady that's there, and so I met somebody new this morning. Um, the reason I ask that is because researchers will tell us that an average person that lives to the age of 78 years old in their lifetime will have met around 80,000 people. And I know that seems kind of hard to believe, maybe, that in 78 years you can meet. 80,000 people. That's a lot of people to meet in a lifetime. But when you really think about it, <clears throat> and you think about every bank teller you've ever met, every grocery store clerk or clothing store clerk or waiter or waitress or coworker that you've worked with uh, throughout the years, when you really think about it in those terms, all the people you went to high school with, if you went to college, all the people you met in college, when you really start thinking about all the people you've met in your lifetime, it's not hard to believe that in 78 years we can meet 80,000 people in our lifetime. Now, not everybody in here is 78 years old, so your number might be less. <laughs> Don't point. That's not nice. Don't point and say, yeah, they're older than that. But um, whatever your age is now, maybe you're at the 20,000-person mark. Maybe you're at the 40,000-person mark. But here is another question. How many of those that you have met in your lifetime up to this point do you feel like you have truly made an impact on? Don't answer that. But just think. Think in percentage, okay, 20,000, maybe, maybe 3%. Two and a half percent, ten percent would be a massive number. So that means you've impacted, you know, at forty thousand. That's four thousand people. But the reason I was thinking about this is, and as I was studying for this, our our, our topic today is change the world. And I was thinking about I was twenty six years old, 
and I was living up around D.C., Washington, D.C., and uh, I had just come back to the Lord. Uh, I had spent from age 19 to 25 uh, being dumb, you know, just doing things that I felt I wanted to do and just being dumb. I was just, I wasn't smart. And so uh, finally at the end, about right before I turned 26, the Lord kind of redirected me in, a, in an area and got my attention again. And so I rededicated my life back to God at age 26. Well, I was in a church and, and uh, I was part of a young minister's group um, as the Lord was kind of leading me and opening doors to, to step into ministry. And um, our pastor came to us and he taught, he asked me and a friend of mine, he said, hey, he said, I got an invitation uh, to minister and preach at a church and a conference in Chicago. He says, I want you and uh, Mike to help me drive to Chicago. And we're like, cool, okay, let's go. So we jump in the car and we head off to Chicago and uh, we're driving up uh, along the north uh, uh, area of, of, of that part of the country, headed to Chicago and we, we were hungry. And we'd been driving all day, and so we we found a, a restaurant up ahead, and we called in. It was you know, it was a steakhouse, and the pastor was like, "Well, let's eat good tonight." And so I was like, "Yeah, we're I'm good with that." And so we called ahead and got a got a uh, reservation. So we walked in to this restaurant, and we sat down, and and we, you know we sat down, and we were just kind of just you know hanging out, just talking, and the waitress walked up. And up until the point where she walked up, our pastor was kind of engaged in, in talking to me and Mike. And he was using th this trip as teaching points. And he was showing us up and talking to us, kind of pouring himself into us. And, uh, but when, when this waitress walked up, his, his attention switched immediately. And uh, she walked up, and, and he paused for a moment after she first said something, and, and he, he, he told her, he said, you know what, because she had this distressed look on her face. She had that, I have way too many tables, and I'm really tired look. Anybody ever seen that look by a waiter or a waitress when you go to a restaurant? And so immediately you think, oh, it's going to be a long night. We're going to be here for a minute. And, uh, uh, and then my pastor goes, you know what, he says, we're fine. Don't worry about us. He said, you go take care of all your other tables. And me and Mike looked at each other like, wait, uh, no, we didn't agree. We didn't talk about this. And, and so, but she went ahead and she took our order. And so she took our order and she left and we, we started talking. Well, she came back and brought our food. Well, she gave us our food and, and the pastor looked at her. He said, how are you? And it kind of, you know, she probably did get asked that a lot at work, and so it kind of set her back. And he, he said, well, he goes, the reason I'm asking is because I'm a pastor, and I was just wondering. And immediately her countenance changed. And she, in big old juicy tears came to her eyes. And she was fighting back the, ur the urge to cry. And she said, just pray for me. He said, okay. So she walked off. He said, well, let's pray for our food. So we bowed our heads, and, and he started praying, and he prayed for our food. And then he prayed for our waitress, and he prayed for her family, and he prayed for her job, and he prayed for what's going on in her life, and he prayed for And, like, we were sitting there like, we're like, 
it's no longer praying for our food. We're in a we're in a full blown prayer service for this waitress right here in the middle of the steakhouse, and he's praying for her. And we're like, okay, yeah, whoo, all right, let's do this. My steak is right here below my nose, and I'm starving, you know. And I'm all carnal, you know, because I'm 26 and I'm dumb and I don't know any better. And 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 he's praying and he's covering this woman by the blood of Jesus Christ and he's covering her in prayer. And we get done and. And we, me and Mike look at each other like, okay, are we supposed to, can we go ahead and eat or do we need to go back into prayer? You know, I mean, we were feeling like an intercession at the moment. And so, you know, and, and that poor pastor, he had a lot worked with me and those guys. But so she comes back over and brings us our check after we get done eating and he pays with a credit card and she brings the check back. And he looked at us and he said, we prayed for that girl, right? You kind of did, but we, we said a few things to her about her, you know, in prayer. But um, he said, so what we're going to do, he said, um, we're going to bless this girl. He said, because she needs to know that Jesus loves her. And I'm like, how do you not, how do you not know? I mean, she might know that, Pastor. I mean, we, we're not, we don't have to save the world, right? But I didn't say that to him. I was scared. I was like, nope, he'll blast me. <laughs> I'll be picking myself up off the floor. <laughs> and so um, I said, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, on the tip line, he writes this very large number on the tip line. And my eyes bugged out. And I looked at Mike, and I was like, yeah, that's a blessing. And he closed it. We got up, and we walked off. And we was almost to the door, and we heard, sir, 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 sir. And she comes running to after him with the little, uh, little thing in her hand. And she goes, you've made a mistake. And she opened it up, and she said, she goes, you, th- this is way too much money. You, you made a mistake. And he said, no, 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 I didn't make a mistake. He said, that's for you. He said, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And he cares about everything that's going on in your life. Now, we didn't ask this woman, this girl, what her situation was. We didn't ask her. But for something, for some reason, my pastor felt an urgency for that girl. And when when he told her it was for her, man, the floodgates opened and she just began to weep and cry. And he said, he goes, goes, me and my church for the next three days are going to be praying for you. And to my knowledge... I know myself, uh, Mike, and that pastor have never seen that girl ever again. But in that moment, my pastor stepped into the attributes and the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And what, I, what we witnessed, and I didn't realize this till later, uh, much later, what I realized was in that moment, my pastor was bearing fruit. That's what he was doing. He was bearing fruit. And it's the kind of uh, thing that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15. When he was talking to him, he, he said in verse 5 of John 15, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Because, you see, bearing much fruit implies the inherent ability of reproducing 
who we are. As every piece of fruit has within itself the very capability of producing more fruit. You see, the seeds that abide in a grape, the seeds that, that exist within a piece of fruit are all you need to grow more fruit. That seed has a reproducing factor to it. And so when we begin to produce fruit in our life, but how do we produce fruit? We stay connected to the vine because the vine supplies the branches with the necessary nutrients for the branch to produce fruit, right? Anybody ever grown grapes? The vine reaches to the branches, and the branches uh, bloom and spout, uh, sprout uh, fruit. And so the nutrients cause growth in the branches, which ends up being fruit. And the seeds within the fruit obtain the same nutrients that have flowed through the branch because the fruit is the end result, the outcome of the branch abiding in the vine. The only way we'll ever produce fruit and reproduce what God is doing in us is if we stay connected to Jesus Christ. We stay connected to the vine. Amen. That's the only way we'll produce the fruit because he supplies the necessary thing. And that's why Jesus continued in verse 8. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit because the fruit that this branch produces can be taken and replanted to grow more fruit. And that's what we're called to do. It makes me think of what, what, uh, what Peter and John did at, at the Gate Beautiful in Acts chapter 3. They go and they, they stand there, and I use this a lot, but the man uh, comes and he's, he's asking alms. What did they tell him? They said, such as I have within me, such as I have within me, such as I have received I'm going to give to you. What were they doing? They were reproducing what God had already done, what the Holy Spirit had already done in them a, f a few days earlier. They were reproducing that into this man. Such as I have, I give thee. They were bearing fruit in that moment. They said, "Stand, be healed right now in the name of Jesus. And, and this man was looking for silver and gold. But he said, look, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you something that doesn't just change your current circumstance. But I'm going to give you something that changes your life. Amen. And that's what we're called to do. We can bless somebody with a $100 tip, and that's fine. That's okay. If the Lord leads you to do that, do that. But when we give somebody Jesus... When we show somebody, show somebody Jesus, you know what we do? We impact their world. We have a direct influence into their eternity. And I would much rather impact somebody's eternity. Now, if God uses $100 out of my pocket to impact their, their eternity, I'm okay to make that investment. If God calls me to do that, I'm all right with that. But God may call me to open my mouth and speak with boldness. Or he may ask me to step out of my comfort zone and, and speak a prayer in the moment over that person. We've got to be willing to invest in people in the moment to make an eternal impact and influence in their life. Amen. Because that's what we're called to do. We, last week, we talked about discovering purpose. That's what our purpose is, to bear much fruit. Amen. Because you look through the Bible, and uh, there's some pretty disparaging things about unfruitless trees or trees that, fruit trees that don't bear fruit. Uh, so don't be that because 
it gets hot where those trees are thrown into. Okay? So, so don't be a tree. We're all trees. David said in Psalms 1, we're like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in its season. There's going to be a season of reaping. There's going to be a season of bloom in your life and blossom in your life. And he's going to place you in position in your lifetime. He's going to put somebody and you're going to meet somebody new that needs something. And it may be a word. It may be a sentence. It may be a Bible study. It may be something else. It may be a prayer. But he's going to put you in that position. The key is, are you aware? Are you watching? Are you looking for what God is trying to open up for you? Because if we're not, we're just walking by, and God's opening this door and this door and this door. I'm following Jesus. He's like, no, I want you to stop, and I want you to pay attention. And we're just, there's times where the Lord will direct us to invest in people's life because I'm not, he, he didn't fill me with his spirit. He didn't baptize me with his Holy Spirit to just keep it all to myself. He didn't call us to be a pond to reserve his spirit. He called me to be conduit, a river, to allow his spirit to flow through me so it can touch somebody else and it can impact somebody else. We are his hands and his feet, and that's how we change the world. Amen? Amen. And so, as a child of God, our attachment to the vine results in the fruit of his characteristics. Uh, and that's what we find in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. Look at somebody and say self-control. I have the hardest time with self-control when it comes to dessert time. I have, a, I have a vicious sweet tooth, and it is bad, very bad. But he's called us self-control. Balance in your life is an attribute of the Lord. Amen. You can turn anything into a sin. I'll just tell you that. You can turn anything. It doesn't have to be something crazy that, we, that everybody knows is a sin. You can turn anything into a sin if you put it before God. Amen. And that's what we've got to be careful of. We've got to keep our priorities right because if we take something and put it and make it more important than God, then we've turned something innocent into something perverted because we've placed it out of position from what it's naturally supposed to be in our life. Amen. And I've, we talked about this several months ago. I, I told you, if I put my wife and my relationship before my relationship with God, I've put her in a position that sets her up for failure because she's not to be in that place. They're, my first relationship is between me and the Lord, then me and my wife. Amen. And when we get things all out of whack, our life gets, you know, like, oh, what's going on? That's because... The alignment in our relationship with him has, has, there's a disruption. Something has come in between me and him. Amen. And so if we're going to go back to the fruit of the spirit, if we're going to have love in our life and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all of the, the nine fruit of the spirit, if we're going to have these things operating in our life, then it's, we must stay connected to the vine because 
These are the attributes. These very things right here are the attributes that make us in his likeness. We are created in his what? Image. That speaks only to our creation. But that makes us like him. There's a difference. There's a very powerful difference. I can be the worst sinner in the world, and I can be a mass murderer and, and, and denounce God and blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, and I'm still created in his image. You see? But when I become like him and I take on his attributes and I take on his characteristics and I let his love that flows in me flow out of me and I share the joy of the Lord and I let the joy of the Lord be my strength but not my strength only and I pass on that joy to somebody else and I allow the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and all these things to play out of my life and not just in my life, then I start bearing fruit and other people are impacted by the fruit that I'm bearing. Amen? And that's when, that's when we truly start to be in his likeness and not just in his image. He's called us. He created us in his image. He called us to be like him. Amen? That's our calling. That's our purpose, to be like him. And so, and that's the reason that these attributes listed here are referred to as fruit, because they can be reproduced. Amen. Jesus tells us in John 15 and 16, and I don't have it up here, he says, go and bear fruit. His commandment is twofold. The bearing of fruit within our own lives, yes, but also the reproduction of fruit as a means of impact and influence on others. So as we've been talking and going through this month, everything we have been talking about where it's know God, find freedom, discover purpose, change the world, it all takes commitment. It all takes a commitment. It does not happen by accident. Success in, in, in business does not happen by accident. A stork doesn't fly over and just drop it out of its mouth and it falls in your lap and like, oh, yeah, success. No, it, 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 it's intentional. And if I'm going to know God, i got to be intentional about his presence, about being in his presence. I have to be intentional about studying his word. I have to be intentional about being in prayer on a regular basis if I'm going to know God in a deeper way. If I'm going to find freedom, I've got to commit myself to surrendering to him and surrendering to his will. I've got to commit myself to discovering that freedom and discover purpose. I've got to commit myself to his perfect will. It will not happen by accident. And the process of changing your world requires a commitment. I read this in a book, and I want to share it with you. Your commitments can develop you or they can destroy you. But either way, they will define you. Your commitments will either develop you or destroy you. But either way, they will define you by what you commit yourself to, what you commit your time to, your energy to, your thoughts to, your heart to. What, what your commitments are in your life will define and identify who you really are. And if we are going to truly influence and impact our world of people that will come into our lives throughout our lifetime, we will have to fight against the gravitational pull 
of selfishness because our nature is to be selfish. That's our, that's our human nature. I want to I, I get mine first before I, you know, selfish, self-centeredness, me, me, the me monster. Ugh, I want to take in everything. I want, I want it all for me. And somebody comes along, and you're like, ah, no, 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 don't, don't, don't steal my stuff. You're like a kid with a new toy. You can see it, but you can't touch it. This is my toy. No, it's mine. It's funny how kids, one of their first words they learn to say is mine. Mine. They can't even say dad, dad yet, but they can say mine. You know why? Because we're selfish in nature. Sometimes, but the problem is uh, we, some people don't get out of that, and they're big people, and they steal all. The only word they know is mine mind. We've got to we've got to realize that we have not been called we have not been given the purpose, we've not been chosen to be selfish. And to be effective in our purpose, we have to tap in to what we see God or Jesus calling Paul to. It was on the road to Damascus in Acts 26, 16 that Jesus is speaking to him, and he, told, he tells him, he says, but rise and stand up on your feet. He says, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Now, I want you to see there's three different Greek words that are translated as servant in the New Testament. The one that is translated for the word servant here is from the Greek word, and I'm going to mess this all up, paparatus. That's probably not how you say it, but that's Tim Dunn's version of it, okay? So we'll just go with it. All right, and, and haparitus means an under rower. Can you say that? Under rower. Under rower. Let me tell you what an under rower is. It refers to the kind of servants and slaves working on a Roman ship, usually as oarmen to power the ship. These under rowers remain anonymous. They're the unseen force that propels the boat or the ship forward. And what this is, is a reminder that our goal is to magnify Jesus, not ourselves. See, when, when I talk to people, I must be very careful that I'm magnifying Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus can change them. I can't. Jesus can impact them. I can't. Jesus can heal them. I can't. Jesus can deliver them. I can't. You get the hint. I don't have to go through it. Jesus can do all things. All things are possible to him who has called us. I can't do anything without him. So if I'm magnifying myself, then I'm hurting somebody else because I can't do anything for you. I can pray for you, and I can pat you on the back, and I can tell you uh, you can do it, and I can tell you keep going, and I can give you all these encouraging words but in and of my own power, I have no ability to change your circumstance. But you know how I impact your world? You know how I impact a waitress or a waiter or a coworker or a, or a store clerk? Is I magnify Jesus in their life. 
I tell them about the Lord. And in that, that's where I can change what's going on in their life. Because we must desire to draw people to Jesus by drawing them with Jesus. If we try to draw people to the church by different things, then we'll draw them, or if we draw people with the church by different things, we're going to draw them to the church. We don't want them to be drawn to the church. We want them to be drawn to Jesus. Amen. It's, it's, it's about allowing his attributes, his fruit, to be active in our lives so when the opportunity arises, we can reproduce what's been growing in us. And so there is a sense of responsibility to make a difference in our sphere of influence that pertains to every single one of us. God loves humanity. Amen? Anybody agree with that? God loves humanity. And he desires every single person that his plan uh, be restored in their life and his will and his design for their life be played out. But his plan for reaching each life, you know who it depends on? Raise your hand. (laughs) You. Look at somebody and say, that's you. That's you. That's me. Because I know this might sound overwhelming, but I, I, want you to, I want you to understand this. Your responsibility is not to change the world, just to change your world. Think about, who's, who, think about the people in your world your sphere of influence, your realm of impact that you can have on the people that are close to you. And there's going to be random doors that God opens for somebody that you'll meet once and that's it. And you'll walk in those. But think about people that you see on a regular basis that you know you can have an influence on. And I want to I wrap up this teaching series with this story from the New Testament. Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi. And they're preaching and they're ministering. And then one day, they walk past this slave girl that is known for fortune-telling, okay? And she's possessed with the devil. And because of that possession, the devils within her recognize the Holy Spirit that abides in Paul and Silas. And as they pass her, she shouts that these men are men of God. And they're there to save their souls, okay? She's very threatened. And Paul turns to her and he rebukes the devil out of her. Well, that's a problem for some guys standing by. Because there's, there were some men there that were uh, being financially uh, padded. <laughs> their pockets were being padded by her fortune telling. So when the devil left her, she couldn't tell the fortunes anymore. So these guys got upset. And so they went to the authorities, and they were like, hey, um, Paul and Silas messed up our little scheme here. And so the authorities came, and they, they, they flogged them, and they beat them, and they arrested them. So they throw them in jail. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. But they're in jail. They're in bondage. 
no matter how bound you feel, you can still pray. Whether, no matter how deep your pit may feel, no matter how dark your valley, we sang about it. Uh, in Psalms 23, he talked about it, the valley of the shadow of death. No, no matter how dark it is, you can still call on Jesus. Amen. And so he says, they prayed and they sang hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, again, the suddenly thing, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, I underline that and italicize that because I want to to show you what that word means. We're going to keep reading, verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Verse 34, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire, there's that word again, household that he had believed in God. In that incredible story, as you stand with me, I want to point out this one fact. I underlined it and italicized it twice. That word household, used two times, and it comes from the word oiochus. It's a Greek word, and it literally refers to anyone under your relational roof, not just your family members. It's talking about people in your sphere of influence. It's talking and describing the people that God has put in our life. The people that God has allowed to come into your world for a purpose. They're not there by accident. They're not there, but God has called and he has chosen you and he has equipped you and he has empowered you by the power of his spirit to change your world to impact those people with his gospel. And so as we are standing here this morning, I wonder, we've talked about knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose. Are we changing our world? Only you can answer that. But I would challenge you to be honest with yourself. Because you can... Say what you want, but the Lord knows. He knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows, He sees the intents of our heart. So as we wrap up this, this teaching series, I wonder, are we really changing our world? Are we having an impact on the people around us? Are we shedding the light of Jesus Christ 
into other people's lives. I want you to bow your head this morning and I want you to close your eyes. And I want just in your own mind, I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I truly changing my world or is my world changing me? Am I allowing the power because the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Am I allowing that power that's in me to be transferred through me to change people around me? Or am I allowing my world, my friends, my influences to influence me? Am I pulling them along closer to Jesus or are they pulling me away from him? And that's the assessment that every single one of us have to make. Because we have a purpose. We have a calling. Every single one of you, the Bible calls every single one of you minister, ministers. We have been called to minister to people. So as we wrap up this service, I want to pray. I want to pray over every single one of us and ask the Lord to charge us, challenge us, help us to realize that we're called to change our world. Lord, we come before you today. Lord, I thank you for everyone that has been here, everyone that's here this morning, and I pray that your spirit has ministered to them, has strengthened them, encouraged them in some way, in some fashion. Lord, before we leave here this morning, I'm asking you, God, to show us, reveal to each and every person in this place the calling that you have called us to, the purpose that you have set before our lives, that we have been called to change our world, the people that you have placed in our lives where we are called to shed light into their life to bear much fruit, not a little fruit, but much fruit, God, so that you can be glorified, that you can be magnified, Lord, so that they can continue and they'll start abiding in the vine and they'll start bearing fruit there of their own and they'll start growing and they'll start impacting people. And Lord, the, the 80,000 people that I may meet in my lifetime, if I can just impact as many of them, but God, the few that you have placed in my close sphere of influence. Lord, I pray that we can impact and change our world. Lord, give us the power. Lord, let it flow through us and in us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you've heard the term world changers, right? I can't change the globe, but through the power of the Lord in me, through the power of the Lord in you, you can change your world. You can change those that God puts in your life. Amen. How many of you will commit to that? I'll, I'll commit myself this morning right here. I want you to raise your hand if you'll commit. I want you to signify not to me but to the Lord that I'll commit to being a world changer. I'll change the people in my world, my sphere of influence. God, I'll do that. Amen. Amen. All right.
You made a promise. <laughs> Has he kept his? Well, let's keep ours. Let's change our world. Just think about how it happens. It's a ripple effect, right? You ever thrown a rock into a pond? It just begins to ripple. That's what we can have in your world. Amen. I love you. I believe in you. And I know the Lord does. He's called you. He's chosen you. You're special in his eyes. No matter what's going on in your life before, you're special in his eyes. You have everything you need to change your world. Amen.